The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Minahan again here with Talk Cosmos on May 19th, the very day before Gemini starts. But today we will have, which I will not introduce immediately, Gemini Pratt. And today we continue with our archetype of Taurus that includes Venus, the planet so near to us, still between Earth and the Sun, the second house, and Taurus known with the bull, although there is thought today that really the cow needs to be recognized. Taurus, just briefly, is that spirit-integrating form, and it's fixed. It's earth sign. Aronis that we're talking about is the liberator, the awakener, like authentic, flashes, vision, intuitive. It's that unique perspective that we suddenly realize Hopefully, because that's the problem. If we don't, trauma, hello, it comes. Today, there are planets that are just entering their signs. It's quite a start of many forms. Venus, for one, it's in Cancer. And I know for some of you that may not be astrologers, it's like, okay, what's that? But it's emotion. It's our personal story. It's our cycles. It's how we personalize things. It's how we nurture. And the ruler of Taurus is going, hello, I think this is the time. For instance, nature, which rules the physical, the pre-verbal, the world that we live in that we're really talking about with Aranis right now, has flowers, of course, and some think that they speak. George Washington Carver, he woke up at 3 in the every morning, just to listen. He developed 300 different things for the peanut. It was remarkable. He had that intuitive communication with the flowers. Briefly speaking, too, just about Uranus, interestingly, in the science of our world through space.com, and I think I've mentioned it, but I will re-identify, is that the Milky Way, there's a map, a 3D map, of 1.7 billion stars that prove, so it's a physical form, that's my point. And the other thing is, is that uh, the, the spacecraft was called Gaia, which is the word and goddess, goddess for, for Earth, because astrology is that view from Earth. And our great speaker, Gemini Brett, does Earthology. He is remarkable. I think, well, there's so many little spots that I could comment on. The one thing about Uranus that I did want to mention, besides this amazing 3D map that we're going to be able to break through many other information, which, again, is Uranus breaking through, is that they have some physical ideas of what the atmosphere was, and it's hydrogen sulfide, which is stinky, like eggs, I guess, but... Hey, that's the senses. 
So amazingly, in some way, if we look at our world, we get cues. Earth, remember, as we progress into this talk, holds. It's a body. It's a vessel. It holds so much. Just recently, there was a YouTube about the fact that our factor, that the world is so much older. They found bones, humanized bones, 280,000 years ago versus 67,000 years ago up in Siberia, the Densova Cave, Densova Cave. There were giants. It all relates to legends. And that is, again, an emphasis that I really treasure Gemini Brett's attitude because he recognizes the symbolism. These languages are symbolism. So I will now identify, not identify, I'm going to remove that word, but introduce this astounding astrologer, teacher, and shamanic storyteller, and he seeks the signs of the messenger's mind. He's known as astronomy for astrology expert. <coughs> In fact, he has a new astronomy course that he's developing. So for any of you, go to his site, which happens to be more than astrology. And you can find that on our website, Talk Cosmos, in case you haven't got a pen and can write it down. Because for those people that sign up, he's going to give a generous 60-minute discourse, uh, consultation, however you talk about it, which is extremely valuable. And then you can also get a hold of his sacred anatomy. Astronomy, not anatomy. Astronomy, all these A words. Anyway, astronomy, of course. But Gemini Brett transmits mysteries. Finds in sacred sites. And with a huge repertoire of relationships with musical harmonies, astronomy, and bringing a whole world right here to form. So, hi, Brett. Hi, Sue. How in the heavens are you? Hey, it's happening, and I'm glad. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, with we'll get right down talking about stuff, and that is Venus. I know there's lore and stories. Perhaps you want to tell a version that we can begin to understand. Uh, well, one is the birth of Venus. I'm very interested in that right now. You know, it's a really tragic um, story, or maybe we could say traumatic, but I think one of the great gifts of labor pains is the energy for a soul to come and transition here into form. So the story of Venus's birth is perhaps one of the most traumatic labor pains I've ever heard. I think it's really important when we engage with the starry stories of old, not to project them onto human experience. The myths will open deep windows into the soul, in, into our own humanity. However, they're also about much more. I mean, this is a story about planets. And <clears throat> the story goes in the fastest version that first there was darkness and then light and love were born, which gave birth to Earth. She created the heavens, Oronos, to embrace her. And their first offspring were these monstrous beings, the Cyclops and the hundred-handed ones that disturbed their father, Uranus. So he banished them to 
Tartarus, the lowest place of Hades. It said you can drop an anvil and it will take nine days, mm-hmm. nine nights to fall to this desolate place. So Gaia, Earth, was offended by this banishment of her children. She began to refuse Uranus's advances, and it said that he began to take her. And in those rapes, there was another species of beings born who were the Titans, perhaps most famously so, Saturn or Kronos, and most famously so because he was the one, though youngest, he was the one to answer his mother's prayers to do something about this father who had become violent. And it said that Saturn, as I like to tell it, from within the womb with this little itty bitty baby sickle castrated his father during the next rape. And when that phallus fell from the heavens to the earth, the blood that hit land turned into the furies the phallus itself impregnated the waters, the oceans of Gaia, of Earth, and from that strange merger was born Venus, who rode out from the waters to Cyprus on a clamshell. So I'll say one thing about the clamshell, it's an esoteric symbol for the sun, because on those beautiful sunrises or sets when you can see the display of rays, it looks like a clamshell. True. Labor pains, that really signifies a great deal, especially with the fact of the lineage. I mean, it's all a language of how can we relate stories that people can comprehend, experiences that they understand. I mean, you and I understand that, and I hope that with mythology, people can begin to dig down to it, because it is a history of, of the or, uh, oracle, or not oracle, of the uh, oration, oration, orator. Yes, thank you. And that womb, just from the very, because life, actually, there's thought that life could have been created in the ocean. It's so dark. You know, just the molecules and the, the um, uh, anebas that, that, that signified around the Earth, because there's seven, seven stages. It was another show on Nova that showed that there's uh, these different, there's the black of volcano, like on Kilauea right now in Hawaii. There's the gray of granite as it cools. There's the blue of ocean. There's the red, which is a biological feature that of this birth within the dark places. And that's important, this whole dark to light. So at any rate, there's an ice age, and then it finally gets to our beautiful world that we have. Well, let's take that red and explore this story through the blood and the furies. Ah. And I'll say a few more things about the astrology of this moment. Scorpio, the first degree of Scorpio is on the rise. That's um, the degree that held the sun at the time of of my own rise. And um, it's fascinating that That's the one degree of the fixed signs that's not currently occupied. Uranus in the first degree of Taurus, Mars in the first degree of Aquarius, and Moon has just ingressed Leo to complete this T-square with Uranus, and and they're facing Scorpio, and Scorpio's on the rise right now, so we want to get into this transformative energy of 
no fear to engage with the art of the heart. When we suppress, we serve the suppressed to control us. And the alchemical art is expressing all of self and controlling the expressed to serve us and to serve others. So I just want to give, maybe I should have earlier, a little bit of a trigger warning because this story obviously gets into very challenging topics. Speaking of labor pains, Venus, who's just ingressed cancer, as you mentioned earlier, she's sitting on the hand of the high man, as the Celtic myths and mysteries speak of Orion. And it's a very sacred place of the heavens, this first degree of cancer, the summer solstice point in our day has aligned to a place that some of the mystery schools called the Silver Gate or Lakota called the Sacred Hoop. And both agree that this is where our souls come from. Astronomers call this sacred space the winter hexagon. And it's a group of stars, Capella, Castor and Pollux, Procyon, Sirius, Regal. Some use Aldebaran, the eye of the bull. Others, the Pleiades, who sit on the bull's back. And that's where the sun is right now. The sun is aligned to the Pleiades as it happens every year. So this place of the sky, this beautiful place that surrounds the Milky Way on one side, opposite the galactic center, this is looking out into intergalactic space. We're told this is where souls come from. And it's also a place that it's been honored long ago. I mean, perhaps the oldest constellational painting that we're aware of is from the Lascaux cave in France, where there's a giant bull with the Pleiades sitting on its back. So the Pleiades hold much attention throughout global myths throughout time. And there are many, many reasons why. I mean, one is they're very magical to look upon. But another possibly is that this is the place from which the phallus of Uranus fell after the castration. And I will argue that this is when what we knew as cow, Taurus, and goddesses like Lakshmi and Hathor, whose milk birthed the very Milky Way that embraces us. This, I believe, is when cow became bull. I mean, Taurus is an earth sign, a, a down and in sign, an embodiment sign, a sign that's traditionally been associated with the feminine, and yet we say bull. Why? How has this cow been testiculized? And to me, it's a reflection of this time when earth was raped by the heavens. So again, if we project that onto the human experience, we can't get too far with it because we just find ourselves, you know, in our own pain and looking at this pain of the world and patriarchy and all of this, and, and that's okay. But there's a higher level to the story that's literally speaking, as far as I'm concerned, about the rape of our planet by the heavens. And I find this to be so important because you know, Sue, that my principal devotion is to reconnect the astrological correspondences that we find looking down in charts and playing with these rules and equations back to a living connection between earth and sky, the marriage of heaven and earth, which for some reason 
even in our craft, seems to have undergone this divorce. Most astrologers I know are not familiar with the sky, are not familiar with nature herself, but rather with human nature. And that's a beautiful thing because we want to look into the heart and the soul. Our craft is about healing and feeling and knowing and growing. And yet when we engage with astrology, not just as a symbolic language, but as the poetic breath of nature, we will reclaim the roots of our rules and the proofs of the equations we use. So there's been this disconnect and it's shown throughout culture. There's this fear of the sky. And it's my contention, and I'm not the first, that this rape of Earth by heaven was a comet that came crashing, most likely from the Pleiades, down to Earth and almost completely destroyed the human species. Well, looking back, just as far as common thought, there was this flood. Of course, whether, however, may have been the Nile, getting a little rambunctious, but still there was the Ice Age. In other words, the Earth has had huge changes, and there have been people that we know have, have uh, types of people that are no longer here. I mean, not just, I mean, whole, i uh, trying to think if it would be called. Species. Thank you. Yes, indeed. So in other words, um, all this could, and the word does travel. It, 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 it travels. But going to this living marriage and thinking of the, really, the fracture of spirit and matter that Taurus embraces with Venus and the story speaks of in this relationship of, of union that really looking at that if we have people refuse to recognize the might of nature, its, its, its necessity, we're fraught with, with pain. For instance, I know that in golden thoughts, I think it was back in the Greek times, they knew everything, but they did have some assembly of, of really philosophy that 70, just like our bodies, 70% of any physical area needed to be natural. But have we done that? No. We go and we plow across land and, and have no consequence of the ocean. And the balance. For instance, I was mentioning in a little to you about a Japanese uh, person who's a doctor of alternative medicine, um, Emoto. Um, Marasu Moroto. Masaru Emoto. Yes. And he wrote messages of water showing, and I've seen even on Netflix, this, if anybody has it and can find it again, it's this wonderful video that, where he takes the pictures of water after people have been f- just feeling next to it, holding this glass or bowl. And there's crystals that change from beautiful to just disjointed and fractured and whatnot. So vibrational, which is becoming once again with quantum physics, and as you know, you're a musician and you understand the harmonic harmonies, you know, and the, the, the golden harmony means. And we're, it's related. Everything is connected in this fashion. And by our intentions, if we just 
or thinking about our own means, which of course Taurus has survival, but the heart getting back to, I love it. I mean, it's all driven through the heart with Venus and sharing of, 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 of reciprocal cups of fullness. Um, our vibes in the, we can affect. Yeah, and we can affect, and it's important to say in, in Masaru Moto's and others' work into the hidden messages of water, not only can we corrupt the crystalline structure by ignoring water, especially we can purify and bring harmed water into a state of perfection and harmony through our own consciousness, especially through the energies of gratitude and love. And this is true for all of nature. And so we can say that the story of the raping of Gaia by Oronos is simply the telling of humanity who quarries and pollutes without any concern. We have to remember that it was written a couple thousand years ago when they certainly were digging deep into Earth, but there was a lot less of the madness of the oil and gas and nuclear realms that are alive today. There's a thing that you said, which was, um, you know, it's common knowledge that there was a flood. And, and yet, actually, the realms of science still deny this. They still say that, yes, the water level rose by 400 meters at the coast, but it was a very gradual thing. There's a strong resistance to an idea of a deluge in the scientific world because it's almost like they're giving in to the creationist side if they agree, like the Bible says, there was a flood. Well, the stories from all over Earth say the same. And I, I really um, encourage people to check out the work of rogue geologist Randall Carlson, who is doing amazing research to explore the truth that indeed this water rise was sudden and violent. And you mentioned the, the Nile flooding. Well, all rivers rose, but mostly it would seem it was because of a huge melt of the polar ice cap, which was much larger than it is today. And when this water released, it flooded our world and basically destroyed, I mean, huge species like the woolly mammoth gone, you know, and the, the, the modern rap about the disappearance of the woolly mammoth was that this was hunters and gatherers. If you look at the numbers of these amazing animals that were all over the world, there is no way that people with their sticks and stones and the anthropologist's mindset were taking out these gigantic mammals. And, and why would they want to hunt the largest thing on earth when there were plenty of herd game, much more available and most likely much less dangerous. And, you know, you take down a mammoth and how long is it going to take to consume the flesh anyway? It's just ridiculous. Our, <laughs> Our science is so lost in this idea that we have it all figured out that we'll never allow ourselves to learn. You know, that's, that's a strong statement but in, in very general. Well, I love this idea. Why would they choose the largest thing? It's like there's challenges, but when survival is a challenge every moment, it's like maybe that little squirrel over there or that raccoon well, or Well, how about that herd of antelope? There you I go. Mean, <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, our modern scientific theories are riddled with these ridiculous concepts because 
Well, there's many reasons. One is because we're afraid to know that actually there were very intelligent humans, probably more so than us long ago, those who built the pyramids and such, but I digress. So to get back to this idea of the comet, it's very likely that from this place of the heavens where the Pleiades reside and the sun shines today, a gigantic comet fell to earth. And when it did, even when it was getting close, the gravitational effects would stir the blood inside of Gaia, you know, and I'm speaking about volcanic eruption and such. Mm -hmm. And then the comet itself, and you'll see in the old stories, coyote. Well, what's a coyote's tail look like? You know, fox, this trickster energy, which very likely represents the comet that crashed through our atmosphere and nearly destroyed us. The witch on the broomstick is another one that's been suggested might be an image of the comet and its tail blaring oh. through the sky. And the sky was lost. The sky was lost because the waters rose very much into the sky. I'm not talking about like flood tidal waves that took the sky away entirely, but you know how it is because we live in Seattle and sometimes the, the gray eats the sky altogether and you can barely see the sun, sometimes not at all. Some days it just looks like this kind of mysterious orb way beyond. And it's most likely that the sky looked that way all over Earth for hundreds of years. Oh, no reference. Amazing. It would be like a blank slate. Yes. So in this time, survival is the key. We can see in the genetic record that humanity bottlenecked, that we were almost completely decimated. And the old tales would suggest that that would not have been the first time. In the Greek mythos, you'd want to pursue the stories of the survival of Deucalion and Pyra and how they seeded the earth. But my feeling is that we, in our own genetic code, and perhaps memories of deep past, like before these current cycles of the current monkey suits in which we reside, that we hold this pain and this fear of the sky. Barbara Hanklaus speaks this beautiful word, which is catastrophobia, and that if we do not face within our very animal nature this deep fear of the heavens, we will continuously serve this divorce of the above and below. And it's, it's that in this story to me that opens the opportunity to heal on the deepest and most profound level, including, I think, if we look at the nature of our culture's craze today and how we've been taken out of the grace of Earth's pace and pushed into this rat race and so much shame and rape and, you know, disgust through the <clears throat> patternings of patriarchy and such. We typically wish to respond in the warlike nature. We typically wish to fight against that which is unrighteous. And while that's a beautiful thing, we are serving the very energy that we would seek to destroy. So the alchemist understands that destruction is a fool's game, for that is a very strong energy that should be utilized for good. It just must be transmuted first. And the way we transmute this thing I feel deeply in my heart is to understand 
that patriarchy is not just king and warrior, but rather is a sobbing child who has been disconnected from nature through this forgotten pain and also through the things we had to do to survive. Because if you think about it, Sue, if there's only, let's say, 3,000 people on the earth existing in these small tribes after such a terrible and shocking destruction, what becomes the sole role of the masculine? Brett, Gemini Brett, I've written great notes here and I love it. At this hour, we're going to return to this just, but first, there'll be an announcement and any of you can call in if you have thoughts that you want to add or if you have an astrological thought, we can take a few minutes to talk briefly about yours. So the number is 888-298-5569 and we'll come back with how to not resist but to really survive. While we take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We're currently in the period of Taurus. By leaving a cycle based upon initiation, the energy of Taurus integrates spirit into a solid form of matter that is tangible and physical. It's an earth sign, concerned with self-sufficiency and the values to maintain the strength of a life form throughout its survival. Hi, this is June Rose Trimbach. I'm an astrologer and healer, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, where we unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconscious. Hi, here we are again. And if you did want to call in, we had somebody that was inquiring, because it's for about 15 minutes here. It's 888-298. 5569. You can speak with Brett of more than astrology or myself or both of us as it works out. We'll deal with your wonderful, well, we'll receive gratefully, just like Earth and Venus, your thoughts. And so, till we do, we'll continue. And I'm thinking, Gemini, that on this patriarchal thought, it is so true. This shift of energies because energy never destroyed it only uh, transforms and how does one use energy to what position when when in an environment so it's how to connect and I'm looking at so often to survive there is this resist well not just resistant but this emphasis of of self and 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 taking all the resources. So. Well, so let's bring this to the light and we'll see if callers call in, but I will just leave an open-ended question for folks to explore if they want to take that line of reasoning and exploration of that great starry story deeper is when the species is almost completely decimated, what becomes the roles? And 
how has that result of pain and near decimation led to where we are now? How can we return through bringing our consciousness to that pain and rather than fighting the result, healing it by going within? And I'll just make a few suggestions. One is to connect to the energy of the whole. We measure astrology from Earth, as Sue mentioned earlier, and not just from the surface of Earth where we live and can witness the heavenly happenings, but rather from the center of our planet, from the heart of Gaia. And this is the direction we can call the below, and it is the whole. So if we all stood right now and lifted our arms straight above our heads to the zenith, we'd be pointing each to different stars. And the truth is, I'm sitting here with my arms raised, and I'm pointing to a different star right now than I was when I first lifted them, because the above is the particular, it's ever-changing. Certainly folks who are tuning in from Australia, regardless of if it's now or later, are pointing to a different place than I am. The above is the particular, where the below is the whole, if we all draw lines down through our spines, they will all meet in the heart of Gaia, in the middle of Earth. So one way, and this is a great teaching of Taurus, of Uranus's Taurus ingress, is to realign the marriage of heaven and Earth. And we start this practice by choosing to be fully embodied human beings. So many of the current spiritual modalities say, look to the light, ascend, get up into the 5D, you know? And it's a curse, really, towards embodiment. The only reason why the heavens rise in the east is because Earth falls in that direction. The ascendant is about being born into matter, you know, down and in. So a practice I very highly recommend, and I do this every day, is to lie down on the ground and fully release yourself to be held by the never ceasing nurturing care of your true mother, earth. Your bones are her stones. And if you can do this out in the grass without a worry about the insects and other beings of the field, and just give every particle of the back of your head and your shoulders and your hips and your legs to be held by the planet, your eyes closed, and then to look from her perspective as you open them to now engage eyes wide open. And the medicine there when we engage with the sky is awe and wonder, like a child who's first seen a star. It truly is deconditioning. That's the word. I, I, Brett, you're absolutely exactly on. But it's that deconditioning of our disconnection, of our fears of nature and of everything. And that's Uranus. Uranus deconditions. It breaks that pattern. It breaks the rhythm. It introduces the new. And it might very well with, with different nature, natural changes, force us, as you say, what if our, our species was to con discontinue? So what if these rules that we have aligned, and if we decondition those rules, and we say, okay, we have that feminine energy, okay, we have that masculine energy, or we have that 
initiation, and then we have that receptive energy, how to go within, now how to go without, and and harmonize, just like with Aries and Venus when they have their child harmonia. That would be, quote, the ideal, the integration, how to really, and what you're saying, really to just feel, get right down on the earth again. It's got to be the message. Sure, and the story is also of that special night that Hermes shared with Aphrodite, and Hermaphrodite was the result. So this marriage, this sacred union, this heros gymos of the inner masculine and feminine is a beautiful thing, but our planet is also a story of the not to of duality, and there's many of us who are racing away from duality to claim unity without first exploring that nature of dark on one side of earth and light on the other. So connecting to the above as the particular and the below as a whole is a profound practice which really opens wide windows into the arts of the chart and the starry study of our sacred science. So I'll add this very important statement. You will never in your life watch a man give birth, I assure you. Woman the feminine is creator. Perhaps the most patriarchal creation story in all of the myths thus far is the Big Bang, that everything ejaculated out of nothing, that everything just exploded out, out of this so-called singularity where all the rules break down. It's nothing, and everything came from that. Well, everything cannot come from nothing. That seed is the egg of creation, the very womb. And if you think about why many cultures, and certainly not all, but many cultures like the Greek with Gaia, Earth, and Oronos, the heavens, or Lakota, Unchimaka, the Earth, grandmother, and the heavens, Tankashala, grandfather, why so many have projected these ideas of the below as feminine and the above as whole? Well, think about biological creation a woman is born with her eggs. A woman's mother's diet is contributing to the health of her child, not just the child in the mother's womb. I'm talking about the child of the future of the child in the mother's womb. It's an amazing thing. And an egg we will never see while it's still fertile, just like the very heart of the earth. So science wants to tell us as well that there's this fiery energy there, one that we often, at least astrologically, associate with, with the yang. And I think that remains to be seen. <laughs> and actually, I know that remains to be seen because this is all just us through us shooting lasers and such through the center of the earth without ever, of course, exploring there ourselves. A man's contribution to biological creation, semen, is cooked to order and has a very short shelf life. It's very much like the above, like the particular, and it is required for us to have both the above and the below, in this sense, for the sake of creation. So after lying on the ground and giving yourself to the earth, eyes closed, and becoming the earth, listening to the beings that accompany you on this most important planet, the planet you chose, or perhaps the one that chose you, Gaia, the lady of the lake, earth, opening eyes to bring in the sky. It's a beautiful practice to stand up and reach your hands to the heavens straight above while simultaneously reaching your energy into the heart of earth and then bringing the below up and the above down to meet 
in the one central direction, the seventh, which is the first, the human heart. And for me, you know, all of my astrology students, the first thing that happens when they come here for lessons is I give them a drawing compass and we draw circles and I send them off to draw a lot of circles. I don't charge them. In fact, I'm investing by buying a compass for them. And many of them don't come back because they came here to figure out why their boyfriend is so psychotic not to draw circles. But the practice, the embodiment practice and the practices of the sacred sciences that the Greeks knew as the quadrivium, which are number and number in space, that's sacred geometry, number in time, that's musical harmony, and number in space and time, that's astronomy. These are the gateways. These are the nature-based foundational roots of our craft. And so engaging in practices and what I call sacred astronomy or earth astrology practices, literally getting outside and sitting east and just watching what the east does at night is a practice that is so profound, there are not words for it. It sounds so simple. It sounds too simple. But that will teach you more about the Ascendant than every astrology book ever written combined. So I encourage people during this time, this, this great awakening, Uranus into Taurus, to renature your astrology. And pretty soon I'll be um, posting about two and a half hours of content of or astrology content for free, my gift to the class, the beginning of a, a 33 hour course. The rest will not be free, but it's called Sacred Astronomy for Astrologers. You can find a sacred astro link at morethanastrology.com, my site, if you want to check out the material. And that to me is one of the responses because, you know, so we so often in astrology speak of Oranos as this trauma. I mean, think of the day Oranos ingressed Aries, which is March 11th, 2011. Now, he had already come in in 2010, but he retrograded and went back to Pisces for some unfinished business. And when he moved on March 11th, 2011, from the waters of Pisces to the fires of Aries to stay for some time, that was the great tsunami that led to the nuclear disaster in Fukushima. So these are the ways that we often speak of the correspondences of Oronos. What can we do to prevent such trauma with Oronos's ingress Taurus? Well, this has happened. This happened on May 15th, 2018. And yet, Oronos will also retrograde on November 6th and head back in, actually in August, and head back in on November 6th to Aries for some unfinished business before coming back to stay in Taurus for some time on March 6, 2019. So one thing that's happening right now is we're being asked to look back. We're being asked to review what has happened in our own realm since 2011. And to me, that Fukushima reactor incident, which is still ongoing, by the way, yes. is one of the principal symbols in the outer world for us to guide ourselves into inner reality and to do some serious cleanup on Isle self. Absolutely. So the questions are, how has my power become toxic or become unchecked and unregulated? Yes. Because Uranus, you see, does not have to be trauma. Uranus is the great revelation that leads to real revolution 
And trauma itself, its only goal is to bring us into the moment now. The authentic so the moment, yes. Is to choose change before change chooses you. Yep, that's it. Before change chooses us. Yep, I agree. And this, this idea of nuclear disaster, well, we're also working on fusion right now. And it's scary. There's devices on Earth all over the place, and most of us don't know about it. Look at tokamak reactors. They are literally going to become seven times hotter than the sun, these reactors on Earth. But if they work, they will literally give us the energy required, free energy required to release us from this oil and gas and nuclear fission craziness. Oh, boy. We have a caller, Brett. Did you? All right, let's go there. Okay. And this will go. Her name's Stephanie. And Stephanie, I have your chart pulled up. It looks like you have a question. And we have a few minutes here, which it always is. And pretty much the question uh, will be somewhat geared to, well, our responses, let's say, will be geared towards the archetype that we're using today, Taurus and Uranus and all of that, the best we can. Otherwise, feel free, please, to contact either Brett or myself, and you can find Brett at well, everybody can be found on my website, Talk Cosmos, or else more than astrology for Brett. So, hello, Stephanie. What was your question? And thank you. Hi, how are you today? I'm fine. Uh, so great. I recently moved to New Hampshire uh, this past year. And uh, unfortunately, since the question is about finances, um, it's been great. I don't have any complaints, but I'm wondering how things may transpire or manifest, say, over the next year or while. Well, what, how, maybe I should find out a little bit more, because what were you doing, and when you moved to New Hampshire, do you have, did that involve direct plans, or was it because of a relationship or family? I mean, uh, Sue, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Sue, can you email or send over Skype the birth data so I can have oh, a look I at thought, the chart? I thought he sent it. It's, it's uh, September, I'll, I'll yeah, no. do you see it? Um, I'll look right now. Sorry. Yes. Go, no, go no, ahead, no, please, it's Stephanie. okay. We'll see if you see it. Otherwise, it's 9-13-62. Okay. Did and where? Uh, Laconia, New Hampshire. Uh, actually, the birth city is Baltimore, Maryland. But Oh, I'm rats. You didn't say that. And, okay. Yes, well, that makes I'm, a difference. I'm located. No, no, no. We, well, we could always do a relocation chart, but it's okay. So that was Baltimore. All right, and the time is 4.45 p.m. Okay, so let me do that all again. So Baltimore, 1962, did you say? Yep. September and what's the date? September 13th. September 13th, and the time? 4.45 p.m. And so we find, um, hold on, i got one more button. Yeah, I'm going to So amazing, mine. you know, in this dawning of the age of Aquarius that we can just I push know. these buttons and cast charts. Oh, well, I've got 26 degrees, 52 minutes Capricorn on the rise. Well, you know what? I'm going to do Baltimore. I had where she's living now. Okay, so, so I... Stephanie, you're Capricorn rising? Yes, I am. Okay, wonderful. Thanks. I'm looking at your chart. I'm and sure. Sue, did you want to go ahead? I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, it's okay. So Stephanie, or yes, I guess so. Stephanie, as you were replying, now that we have your right data, which is always important to know, uh, what, what brought you to this new location? 
in New Hampshire? I mean, how does that relate to your finances? Uh, because a year ago I moved here after um, caring for my elderly parents for three years oh, I see. Uh, down in Maryland. And after I got them settled and safe, I wanted to live free or die. So I moved to New Hampshire, and it's great here. Um, it's a challenge, but I'm curious of how financially how things may work out. Maybe what the charge Perhaps if you could illuminate a little bit more about if you have a profession that you're thinking of or a new career, or when you say finances, if you're married, are you single? I mean, how, I mean, what is your support uh, system? Okay. Single, self-employed, and I'm a trader, investor, and a writer. I write about the finance. <clears throat> okay. And have you, and are those resources still available to where you are? You can work from home. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, Stephanie, have you played in the cryptocurrency markets at all? No, that market's not mature enough yet. That um, statement might be too mature. So I'll say, you know, Venus and Saturn are very key significators of finance in your chart. Um, Aquarius is on the second sign, whole sign speaking, and Saturn's there. Traditionally, Saturn is the ruler of Aquarius. That looks really good. Venus and Saturn are in in a square, what's called a sinister square as well. And um, they're in these fixed signs, Venus and Scorpio and Saturn in Aquarius. So as we're having a lot of fixed sign energy um, in the coming times, um, including with Uranus and Taurus now, Mars and, and Aquarius, there's activations that are happening that really can be wonderful stimulus. I think it's more about um, taking some risk now than it would in other times. Venus rules the 10th sign of your chart, Libra, and she lives in the 11th house. This is a whole sign perspective, which is also known as a financial house. It's how people's money comes to us. But also in her Scorpio nature, I think she wants you to take some risks. And I find the beauty from more of a, a modern um, perspective of Oronos, who's the kind of modern symbol of the Aquarian mysteries. Um, and uh, uh, applying trine to your Virgo Uranus, I think there's a lot of, anyway, I would encourage you to look into some of these cryptocurrencies and just put a little money there and see what happens. I have another um, thought, and that's very good. I can see that, what you're saying. But I'm wondering, too, have you thought about teaching at all? Do you have a client base that you can do webinars or talk to people? Because there is indication here that, you could work with people rather than your own self. You have a lot of structure and you are pretty original in your own thinking. And there's and you like to have plans and, and, and have uh, uh, organized. I, I think you're, mm -hmm. you're spot on there because uh, I've done training in the past for various uh, specialties, but I have done webinar in the past and I, I can teach trading and technical analysis. Oh, excellent. Getting, trying to launch that and redo that as I'm getting settled. So that's actually in the making. And how about team? Because it looks like you would be the leader, but you really do need to work with other people regarding this. Besides, it, it, it's pretty powerful. And you may have a very um, transformative, I mean, what Brett, Gemini Brett's talking about could be a focus of some of your uh I mean, you might keep that in mind about just cryptocurrency because it's 
so strong. But I think going in that avenue of of the website and the whole Zoom and and marketing, you know, that's what it, I had to really do with this radio show. It's a huge subject if you've already got that material under your belt. But if you want further, anyway, so go ahead. We have about another minute we can talk to you, and then we're going to have to. I'm so glad that you called. But did you have a comment or go ahead, please? Uh, no, I'm just um, listening in to what you have to say. Well, when you did these other workshops, is that material, do you have uh, uh, maybe a team of people that you can call upon? You know, you as the leader of, of the role maker? Or how would... No, I actually don't. I'm doing this solo, uh, but uh, in my authorship uh, work, I do have access to other folks. I don't know if they would want to be uh, working in a support role with what I do because they're busy with their own business, which I am contributing to. Yeah, well, what, so maybe that's something I should bring up if they would be interested. Yeah. And there is this tug of war, like what Brett's saying about taking a risk. Brett, I see that. Oran is right there on the 8th. Isn't that what you're looking at, too? Well, I'm looking at yeah. many things. Oh, okay. Oh, you would. Including <laughs> Mars in the 6th of a quadrant chart and... Um, his alignment. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Stephanie, I, I'm really interested in, in how you're bringing spirit into your work um, because I'm looking yes. at this Pisces moon who's hanging out with Jupiter down there. She's Neptune bringing the light of Mars to the sun. And Mars is an interesting character in your chart, the way that Mars and, and Mercury also relate through this this square, though though it's separating. But the Pisces nature really seems to me like working with people um, who have committed to their own sacred work um, on helping them financially in, in the real world to keep them grounded is a really wonderful application of your own Virgo light. And um, the chart just, I mean, it's a really beautiful balance of elements and of modalities, but there's a huge um, spiritual signature there. And I think with with Neptune on its way to visit your moon, it's going to be a bit. Um, but Neptune is trying your Neptune and trining your Mars and coming to the moon. There's a there's a huge bit. I, lo I love that you've chosen to go live free or die model. It's beautiful. But how can you support others who have, in a way, in this nurturing role or somebody who's been around and knows how to do it and can support um, the fold who's choosing to release rat race and, and tune into their own divine work. This is perfect. We'll have to wrap it up, and I will thank you. And I'll add, because of timing, but it happens to be a nodal return right now, too, for you. So you're, you're really feeling the intensity of this. If you want further, contact Brett, morethanastrology.com, or myself on my website, and I'm so appreciative, Stephanie, of you calling in. We love it. So thank you very much. We're going to hang up, and then I'm going to say a few words to Brett because we have about a minute and a half before we close So out. can I say one more quick yes, thing yes, to Stephanie yes. off, off the line here? <laughs> okay. Be careful this summer in the eclipse season. The nodal returns brings the eclipse cycles of birth around again, and there's going to be a total lunar eclipse um, the summer that's right with Mars and right on your Saturn and South Node. Think of that as a volatile time. And I think it's a great time actually to take some risks 
But um, just be careful to make sure that you're grounded in your life at that time. Good for spiritual talk. That's so true. Tonight has been... Okay, we're going to have to hang up. We'll have to hang up. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Take care. Yes. Gemini Brett, thank you with all my heart. You are really a treasure. And your perspective, uh, in, um, sim- well, it's the epitome, really, of so much of what we've talked about, a new perspective and a new direction. And remember, folks, we are on Talk Cosmos. Next week, we have Kathleen Talevich. Find everybody at Talk Cosmos. Our archives, if you have just checked in, can be found through Talk Cosmos also. Gemini Brett at more than you know. Not more than more you than know. Astrology.com. All right. Repeat it once more and we'll say goodbye. More than Astrology.com and check out the Sacred Astro course link there as well as Arts of the Chart. Oh. Um, both kind of forthcoming projects to honor the marriage of heaven and earth. Blessings. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.